0: Welcome to the Wonder Years Podcast, where we discuss principles and practices of nurturing a quiet growing time for children in the early years. In the midst of life's duties and delights, we can cultivate a richly humane life of truth, goodness, and beauty that feeds even the littlest of souls. I am your host, Amanda Foss, and together with my co-host, Brooke Johnson, we invite you to join us as we talk about how to craft homes that lead our children from wonder to worship to wisdom to work for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Let us make the education of the youths our own education and go further up and further in together. It was 50 years ago in the pleasant month of May in the beautiful Pays de Vod, a child in its cradle lay. And nature the old nurse took the child upon her knee saying, here's a story book thy father has written for thee. Come wander with me, she said, into regions yet untrod and read what is still unread in the manuscripts of God, and he wandered away and away with nature, the dear old nurse, who sang to him night and day the rhymes of the universe. And whenever the way seemed long or his heart began to fail, she would sing a more wonderful song or tell a more marvelous tale. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the 50th birthday of Agassiz. Hello
1: and good day. Welcome to another episode of the Wonder Years podcast. We are here and excited about today's episode. We are going to be talking all about nature, time out of doors, and some things to do with your kids and for yourself when we think about this idea that is a big idea in classical education and also in the Mason philosophy. So Amanda, you have a couple things to share with us, some things that will help us in our pursuit of nature. And um, so why don't you tell us about those?
0: Yeah, I'm so excited about this episode. You know, As much as it is a big emphasis in the classical world, I will also add though, that I have heard more than one classical teacher kind of treat nature as this optional thing, right? It's like, well, you have so many hours in the day that you have to focus on your lessons. And I've heard many people question the value of this time. So I am all worked up and ready to talk about it because I'm like, no, this is foundational. This is essential. And it is so needed, especially in the early years like we're uh, going to focus on. But yes, before we get to that, I want to share just a reminder that we have, I have Awakening the Soul webinar coming up hosted by Autumn Kern at the Commonplace. Uh, it'll be here in just about uh, just under two weeks. So if you have not gotten the chance to sign up for that yet, Um, I'd encourage you to go to the link in the show notes and do that. You know, as I'm studying for it and preparing, I am just so uh, encouraged by the fact that you don't need special tools to grow in the habit of attention. You just need a normal common life and that Mm -hmm. in our common lives, we have everything we need to cultivate this intellectual habit that Charlotte Mason calls the most important one. Um, For all of life. And so, um, you're not going to be coming to this webinar to hear the thing you need to buy or this new hard activity that you need to start incorporating into your day. It's really going to be about how our normal everyday lives, as we press deeper into them, we can cultivate the attention that tunes us in better to God and to man and even to creation. So, I hope you can join us for that. It's going to be such a Delight and joy, and it'll be so fun to get to do the Q and A the second week with Autumn. So you'll get to turn in questions. Gonna be great. So um, sign up in the link in the show notes, and yeah, hopefully we'll see you there. Nature, though, let's get back to that. Such a huge topic, so many things. Tell us, we're going to talk about time out of doors. We're going to talk about nature study, but those are two different things. So introduce time out of doors for us.
1: So as you were just talking about the class coming up, it made me think of something that I have heard Autumn Kern say, which is God wrote two books, the Holy Scriptures, and then creation. And so this idea of spending time outdoors and nature study is really learning to read that second book, if you will. And I love that, that idea when she shared that, I have just continued to think about it in those terms. And so just a pretty basic understanding. I think, Amanda, you may think along the same lines as this, but time out of doors is just very broad. It is that time that you're going outside, you're getting out of doors, quite literally, and it can be doing a number of things. It's eating. It's just getting out going on a trail, going to see a state park or a nature reserve or things like that. It can be just playing outside in your backyard if you have one or riding bikes down the street. Whereas nature study is a bit more formal. It is where you are going to take a lesson or an idea and then you are going to go outside out of doors and you're going to look at nature. You're going to be inquisitive of it. You're going to ask questions. You're going to send them, um, you know, growing that habit of attention, which does start with time out of doors. These overlap for sure. But the distinction I think I make in my mind is that time out of doors is for any time at any age. Whereas nature study is a bit more when you get into that age of like starting formal lessons. But really starting that the habit of being outside and being in nature in the early years really does set you up for nature study when formal lessons come so one of the things that mason says in home education is never be within doors when you can rightly be without. You've probably seen it on a t-shirt or a coffee mug or certainly on your Instagram feed if you are in the Mason world. And one of the things that I have found really encouraging, and I don't know if this is true for you, Amanda, but the first time that I read through home education, I didn't get all of it. And to be honest with you, I'm still reading it and rereading it. But I knew when I finished that first read-through is that she meant to be outside as much as you could and so that's what I did I just took my boys out of doors and started to implement some of the things that um, are laid out in home education in the back where you know you can do some of those things in the early years but I knew that that was important to her and so this quote is one of those that I think about often and honestly one of the things that probably drew me to the Mason philosophy in those early days where I had two boys they were three in one. This is just a situation I can remember. And I remember reading that and thinking, that's what I want. This protection of, she calls it a quiet growing time, but really wanting to be out of doors, in nature, getting dirty building things. And I don't know if that's because they were boys, that in my mind I was like, this is just boyhood is time outside. And playing with all the natural materials was something that really just drew my heart to the Mason philosophy. And so it was just something that simple that I had not really dove into classical education at that point. That wardrobe door, as we like to say, um, was not open for me just yet. But um But Mason really did open it in that way. And so I don't know if that was true for you.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the way she describes it is so beautiful. And it just resonated with me on the level of going back to your original point about Autumn's quote about creation being the second way God talks to us. And I think it just resonated with me as a Christian that like, oh, yeah, like having my kids outside in the sunshine walking around barefoot, getting dirty, like you said, um, that just sounds like a healthier way to live than being cooped up inside all day. And so um, that was, I think that was what intrigued me on first brush was just how it would connect them in a deeper way to God, knowing that scripture is full of images of nature. And so that even just on that level, that they will be able to better understand God's word as they are outside and getting to experience those things.
1: So one of the things that Mason recommends is four to six hours during the months with suitable weather. Now, remember that she's in England, and so she's talking about April to October, and this is going to be different depending on where in the world you are, certainly where in, you know, if you're in North America, where in the country you are. Um, We just moved to Florida, and I realized very quickly that it is so hot, (laughs) during the summer, and so um, I am really reconsidering the way that we do our formal lessons and the time because, you know, like right now, it is beautiful. It is perfect weather to be out of doors, and to be honest with you, it's very hard to be indoors doing lessons when the weather is just so perfect. So this is something that is not prescriptive, excuse me, in this way that we're saying here are the months and here are the hours you need to do it. But this is what is recommended. And here's something that you and I have talked about is that um, this was written back in the 1900s. But research today, Amanda, is telling us the very same thing. What do you
0: think about that? Well, it's, it continues to impress me, right, at Charlotte, Charlotte Mason's wisdom. And it just continues to affirm, she has a quote about mothers, but I think it was equally true of her as a teacher who spent so much time around children, where she talks about how mothers are so in tune with their children and because they're observing their children all the time. And basically that we can, you know, through that observation, pick up on the natural laws surrounding children. And that whole idea of how we can do that It's not it's amazing how she described this environment that was so important for children and their formation. And then, you know, she was doing it based off of those observations. Right. She didn't have a brain scan to tell her that these things were good for children's brains. And yet today, like you said, modern research is backing up that all these things that she recommended are, in fact, exactly what children need.
1: Which fits into a long tradition, right, of how humans are formed and Just like we're going back to the the quote of God wrote two books, that there is something that when you consider the person, which is her first principle, children are born persons, when you consider a human and their formation and how they learn, this is just one of those obvious things that it seems, you know, whether you're a mother or not, but if you spend any time at all around children or with them, this is something that you understand as formative and more than just development, but also spiritually, emotionally, um, physically, that this is all a necessary part. And you have um, one of the quotes I want to read for us is from Scott Sampson. And this is from the book How to Raise a Wild Child. And here's what he said. One study found that the average American boy or girl spends four to seven minutes a day out of doors. Another place the estimate at about 30 minutes of daily unstructured outdoor play. Those same average American kids devote more than seven hours daily to staring at screens, replacing reality with virtual alternatives. Most boys rack up more than 10,000 gaming hours before the age of 21. Children can now recognize greater than a thousand corporate logos, but fewer than 10 plants native to their region. What are your thoughts, Amanda, when you hear that?
0: Oh, it just breaks my heart. And yet, you know, I think, I don't know if the the circles I've been in that I would say that people are spending seven hours a day on television, but I do think it probably would be fair to say that it's very typical, even for right. Christian parents, homeschool parents, maybe even more so for homeschool parents, because we are home with our kids all day, to normatively watch at least one whole movie a day which is 90 minutes on average right? right um and then if you add in the other types of screens that can quickly get involved whether that's a cell phone or ipad or things like that um yeah I, that, it doesn't surprise me to think that screens are dominating and taking over children's imagination and minds uh, and like what he says that they can re- recognize thousands of corporate logos but fewer than 10 native plants Mm. That yeah. hurts, but yes, that sounds
1: sounds about right. And what's interesting is that, you know, Charlotte's list of attainments that she, you know, has was kind of the require not requirement, but it was the list that you look to, you know, for those like six and under ages is that she was having you be able to identify six wild plants, flowers, trees, six birds and their song. I mean, the way that she really called up the child because she knew by her observation of them that they were very capable of doing this. and um, it is just sad to see and to hear. And to be honest with you, um before I started educating the my boys, I'm not sure if I could have named ten. yeah, six. <laughs> so you know, the humility, honestly, where you, you know, are looking at that you know, list of attainments and going, I'm not sure that I could, you know, is is a humbling thing, but also something that is very um, necessary. She would go on to emphasize, and this is one of the things that I love about Mason, is that um, she emphasized the mother taking her children. So not just sending them out of doors, which is certainly, you know, can be part of it at times where they just, you know, you tell them get outside and, you know, you have some, you know, raw materials for them to do out there and things to you know keep their hands busy but she very much encouraged moms to be present and to be in the exploration with her children and so that is something that um, I just have always appreciated about her is that she really has called the mother to join in the learning alongside and then also and I would love to hear your thoughts on this this is where I think masterly inactivity comes into play too where you you know maybe do the training at first where you're teaching them things to do out of doors here's how you use a hammer or whatever a shovel or things like that here's an area you can dig and then you let them go and practice doing that you know once you have Show them, kids don't need to be shown a lot of things when you, you know, give them, but you know, almost teaching them how to be out of doors because you love to be out of doors. Even if you don't love it, you're practicing alongside them to love it. Um, better be acting like you love it. Have <laughs> it. Because we love what God loves. And so, um, but the masterly inactivity, just share a little bit about that for you personally.
0: Yeah, I think like many people, when I first heard that term, I misunderstood it. I thought it yeah. meant something along the lines of like, oh, you send your kids outside for masterly inactivity, like they and, and stay inside and like get some laundry done and they can go yeah. of the backyard, like, you know, wild people. And then you, you know, call it masterly inactivity and suddenly you feel like they did something for school that day. Um, that is not what Mason meant by masterly inactivity. I'm very thankful for the Charlotte Mason Think Tank class that I took with Brandi Venzel, where she helped us understand that masterly inactivity, if you just think about those two words, so masterly, it's you are in control of the situation, right? You're in tune, you're attentive, you can see what's going on, and yet uh, the inactivity part is that you're not, like you said, getting involved in everything, right? You're just present and watching them. Uh, You might engage in a little conversation here and there. It's not like you're ignoring them either, but- you are present and observing them so that you can be in tune as a mother, but also give them the freedom for exploration and observation that, like you said, will happen very naturally when they're doing it. Uh, Mason uses the image, image that we are to have the serenity of a Madonna, right? Madonna being Mary. If you look at pictures of Mary, she always has a very peaceful expression on her face. And so uh, that image is one that as a mother, we can take to heart that we want to be that serene person present with our children. And yet give them the space for free exploration and yet also not leave them to just you know go crazy even just for things like conflicts right kids have left to themselves will get into little scuffles and if you are not there as a mom to help them sort it out in healthy uh yeah. positive ways it can go south very quickly you know sticks could get involved we don't want that so that's where masterly inactivity and a serene mother uh, comes in handy
1: So one of the things that Mason will continue to say in home education is along the lines of what you just said, is that here is the mother's opportunity to train the seeing eye, the hearing ear, and to drop seeds of truth into the open soul of the child, which shall germinate, blossom, and bear fruit, without further help or knowledge of hers. Then there is much to be got by perching in a tree or nestling in heather But muscular development comes of more active ways, and an hour or two should be spent in vigorous play, and at last, truly least, a lesson or two must be got in. And so one of the things that she will go on to describe in that section of home education is making it a game at this age. Children love games. They are just born with this innate sense to play is the occupation of a child, I mean, truly. And so playing sightseeing games, so choosing something and then having them go and find that thing that you said. I'm Teaching them to take mental pictures. So remember what this tree looks like. Remember what this flower looks like. And then maybe having them describe it to you with their back turned or trying to draw it or maybe even just drawing it in the sand. Um, This is helping cultivate memory, which again is going to be something that they need in the years to come for all of their life. But then when formal lessons start, Um, asking questions about what did you see? Can you describe it to me? Um, Sending them ahead of you a little bit on the trail or maybe sending them over the hill or over to that bush and then having them run back and describe it um, as they saw it. And um, she would also point out that um, they need to be honest and truthful in their description because you're cultivating the habit of just their awareness and that habit of attention where they are able to look at something and know it exactly. And um, so this is just some simple ways that she recommended all these years ago and things that we have implemented in our home and they work. So that's really cool to see that these are still things that are still um, benefiting you know, families, and I sure, I'm sure you have examples as well, where they can even make games of it, as you know, like siblings, or if you're with friends out on a trail or at a park, where it just can become even like a bigger, uh, just a fun thing to do. And what they don't know that like you're training these things because to them it just feels like play. And I think that that's exactly what it should be like in these
0: early years. Do you have any thoughts? Oh, I love all of that and I think you know the if we had to really boil down what is the the goal like if as a mom you need to know why am I getting them outdoors why are we going outside and doing all these things it's to teach them to have eyes to see right it's to teach them to be observers of god's world uh, to not just be passive recipients, right? I think that's the primary issue with screens is that you're incredibly passive when even if you're watching a nature documentary on a television screen, it's not that you can't learn anything from that. It it can be giving you living ideas, but at the same time, you're in a state of passivity that really does not cultivate learning. To the same degree that if they're out in nature participating in it and observing it with their own eyes, touching it with their own hands, smelling the smells, hearing the sounds, this whole body experience is going to really grow them in profound ways and do such deep work in them that without any lesson plan necessary, right? Just God's world working upon their minds, their bodies, and their hearts. It reminds
1: me of the part where she talks about, you know, not to read too much to them in the early years. And a lot of moms panic because they're like, what? Like these living books and good literature like this should we should read as much as we can. But her point is, if you can go to the beach take them. Don't read about the beach. If you can take them to see a pine tree, don't read about a pine tree. And so she was not saying don't read the books, but it was, hey, once you have read them and they are seeing them, then they need to go out and actually with their hands and their eyes and their feet and just be in. God's creation as described and so I love that but um, the last thing that she says um, not the last thing but the last quote that we have that is really just summarizing what Amanda said is that the mother is doing invaluable work she is training their powers of observation and expression increasing their vocabulary and their range of ideas by giving them the name and the uses of an object at the right moment when they ask what is it and what is it for and she is training their, her children in truthful habits by making them careful to see the fact and to state it exactly without omission or exaggeration. Um, this is where she would have them to recall and reproduce. She would go on to describe those of like, go run over the hill and just tell me exactly what you saw and bring it back. And then if she maybe could send some um, adding to it she would say run back and see and in that it still feels like a game you're not coming down and saying that's not what's over there you know it's hey run back over there and see because you want this to be a delight to them from the
0: earliest earliest days because it is i can't remember exact example she gives but it's something to the effect of a little child saying something like. I saw a million bees. And she's like, you see a million bees? And she's like, no, I saw like 20 bees. And he, yeah, that's right. Like that, where it's just a simple little thing where Charlotte Mason was really good about encouraging mothers to catch a sin or an issue or a temptation at the letting out of the waters, right? Like catch it before the issue has grown at all. And so mm-hmm. truth is being one of those things that if from their youth, we teach them exactness of speech proper observation and appropriate truthful representation of what they see we're teaching them to be truthful people and that's going to bear lots of good fruit in the long run versus what might seem like no big deal at all right letting them say oh i saw a million bees which i will say this is funny for me to even be saying this because as an adult i am a- an exaggerator by nature This <laughs> is something that as a mom i'm working on very hard with my children and my children know i'm working on and they will also say back to me oh was it you know a million pounds of chocolate coconut <laughs> oh, like, right. because right. i definitely speak in exaggeration so this might be something even as a mom you might have to consider oh how am i talking right you know, am i constantly trying to add weight or force to a statement by overstating the issue and in a very subtle way, this is actually a form of manipulation, right? We're trying to like manipulate people's emotions by exaggerating something to make it like this is such a big deal or this is, you know, so um even amazing, right? Trying to fill them with awe, like, oh, aren't you impressed by this thing that I'm saying is so big instead of just letting the facts themselves, the truth itself, be enough. Right. So I've definitely been convicted of that in my adulthood. of like, oh, I can fall into this exaggeration. And so it's a family effort to learn yeah. to be doing what mason describes right so then can you talk to us about
1: nature study when she mentions this and this is one of the things that if you're a charlotte mason educator then this is this is what people just assume you do
0: nothing else just nature study read books if you're reading books, which you know is on one on the one hand super close to the truth and on the other hand not close to the truth at all um but yes nature study uh Nature study, like you kind of already introduced at the beginning of the podcast, but nature study in comparison to being out of doors in and of itself is just much more intentional. And so it is instead of just general observations, we might pull a tree branch or show pictures or paintings even of an animal and just, you know, give a little lesson to our children about them and then help them go look for it while they're outside or um, we'll have them draw it in their nature notebook. We might go for a walk on a trail. This is something uh, I actually do every week. We have a nature study group. So we will uh, start our time by we'll sing our hymn. We will pray together. Uh, I might introduce an idea of something to be looking for based off of the season. And then we will go walking and come back. And the last 30 to 45 minutes of our time is spent doing our nature notebook. So at, at that point, they're generally nature notebooking something they saw. And so... Uh, it's just a great way for them to work on not their artistic skills. Nature notebooks are not prim- primarily about just making it look pretty. Although in the long run, as children get older, they often do look very pretty, uh, especially I think of teenagers. By the time that they consistently did this their whole childhood, they would probably be able to make some very beautiful nature notebooks. But primarily with little kids, you're just wanting them to observe the details, to get really attentive with what they notice. And so, you know, as you lay that branch before them, noticing things like, oh, okay, are the leaves all parallel or are they, you know, alternating? Um, Okay, does this leaf have jagged edges? What does it feel like? Oh, it's fuzzy. Can you represent the fuzziness in your nature notebook? Or if they are at an age where they can write, can you write down some things that you've noticed about this tree? Where did it grow? What season is it? What color are its leaves? Whatever it might be. So we're, we're having a conversation we're conversing about it again we might have some prepared lesson um guidebooks come in handy with this if you just have guidebooks for where you live whether that's a guidebook about birds i have a like birds of north america book but, but uh, there's lots of different guides out there that you can find that will just bring things alive in your area um, i use yeah. a- called i naturalist which i can literally just pull up a place that we, the the plateau, we go to a plateau pretty regularly. And so um, I'll pull up that plateau and I can see hundreds of pictures that other people have taken pictures of and identified what they are, which is really helpful even for me in preparing certain object lessons for them because I can look at things that, oh, I can know that I'm going to find this bird there and that I'll prepare a lesson to share with the kids at the next uh, nature study day. Yeah. So that's basically what it is. Um, I want to share this quote from George MacDonald. He is just one of my favorites, because he was first C.S. Lewis's favorite. And so um, in desire to imitate the, the incredible C.S. Lewis, who said he was really just imitating the incredible George McDonald's. <laughs> uh, in his essay, Imagination, Its Culture and Its Function. He said, no doubt the best beginning, especially if the child be young, is an acquaintance with nature, in which let him be encouraged to observe vital phenomena, to put things together, to speculate from what he sees and to what he does not see. Uh, He was a Victorian. So when he says vital phenomena, he's talking about living things, right? He's saying, get them outside so they can observe things that are alive. Get to see it for themselves, to speculate about it, to rest even in the mystery of it, right? That as we are outside, as a teacher, you're constantly going to experience times where your child or the other students there will be like, oh, what is this? And you're like, I have no idea. And <laughs> you could easily be intimidated by that. But really, I think it is a better frame of mind to go in that this is an opportunity to show our children that there is so much to learn. And even if we were these great naturalists who knew a lot, there would still be things that they would find that we would not know. And so even just inc- uh, inculcating in our children a sense of the mystery of creation, that there is so much to discover, so much to learn about, I think is is huge. Um Charlotte Mason in school education described how this looked for them. And so I want to read it because I think it's just interesting to hear what it looked like in their classroom and then think about how we might be able to apply that example in our homes. She said, on one afternoon in the week, the children of the practicing school go for a nature walk with their teachers. They notice for themselves and the teacher gives a name or other information as it is asked for. And it is surprising what a range of knowledge a child of nine or 10 acquires. The teachers are careful not to make these nature walks an opportunity for scientific instruction, as we wish the children's attention to be given to observation with very little direction. In this way, they lay up that store of common information, which Huxley considered should precede science teaching. And what is much more important, they learn to know and delight in natural objects as in the familiar faces of friends. The nature walk should not be made the occasion to impart a sort of titbits, miscellaneous scientific information, The study of science should be pursued in an ordered sequence, which is not possible or desirable in a walk. It seems to me a sin non of a living education that all school children of whatever grade should have one half day in the week throughout the year in the fields. There are few towns where country of some sort is not accessible, and every child should have the opportunity of watching from week to week the procession of the seasons. Geography, geology, the course of the sun, the behavior of the clouds, weather signs, all that is open... Has to offer are made use in these walks, but all is incidental, easy, and things are noticed as they occur. I just love the example she shares there. Because, you know, when I heard Charlotte Mason's point about doing the four to six hours a day of outdoor time, that did not feel super realistic to me in the seasons of life that I was in. And I can say that probably has happened about the number of times I could fit on one hand, like in terms of how many actually gotten my kids outside for six whole hours. I have five children under the age of eight. They nap. Uh, There's just a lot of factors that if I could get them out for even three hours, I felt like we had just, you know, nailed it. And so this, though, reading in school education that for a student, the ideal would be even just one afternoon a week was something that really gave me hope that we could implement this this is practical this is doable and that through this even as I bring my young children along they're getting their out-of-door time but then we're also giving the opportunity to my older students who are actually actually school age to be able to do this natural observation and study that she describes as being so important. Um, so some other things with that could be having a nature calendar right just noticing the things that happen at each parts in the year and you can write them out literally just a list like my kids in the back of the back of their nature notebook they will just list out little things and uh, for my son he is a form 1b so this is his first grade so i'm the one writing it right if he sees something i'll tell him like hey tell me if you notice something and we'll put it in the back and so i'm writing it in the back for him um i already mentioned nature notebooks Um, I'll just say entries could include lots of different mediums, right? So you could do it with pencil sketches, color pencils, having them writing out descriptions. You could use watercolors, right? Really, any medium of art is fine. The main point being, are they paying attention and observing whether it's the you know, an animal in a picture or an animal in real life, I guess, would be even better. Um, Observing the trees, whatever it might be, the point is for them to be looking at the details and noticing them. And so whatever art form they prefer is great, as long as they're using that opportunity to notice the details. Mm But something you can do in your nature notebook is label each entry, right? So say where you are, the name of the animal or the tree or the leaf or the flower or whatever it is, you could label it and maybe put a date, right? Um, my kids like to often add little artwork that would let you know what season it is. So they might draw some autumn leaves or put some reds and yellows in there for autumn or um, winter. We live in California, so winter is not a real winter, but they'll draw some maybe some raindrops or even a symbol of snow, even though there's no snow where we live. <laughs> we go up to the mountains, though, so that's fine. Um, but I think that's about it, though. That gives you kind of an idea of what nature study is. Uh, what do you think, Brooke? That was really
1: helpful. One of the things, and maybe you can like help us because you have five children, eight and under, right? Okay. So think of the mom, and I think we have talked about this. Maybe not on the podcast, but for the mom who has, you know, kids under, like no kids are in formal lessons and she's trying to do this. So think back to when your oldest was before formal lessons, were these practices that you were doing at that point? Because something I know that kind of just happens the more kids you have once you start formal lessons, and then all those kids under you, um, or, or or under them, I should say, excuse me, is that they are kind of just part of it at that point, right? So they're just kind of coming along with, and and we're still doing a lot of these things that we shared with those who are not in formal lessons. So this is not something that is just formal lessons, but I don't know if I'm making sense, but how did, how did you do it maybe before formal lessons? What were some things you were doing to practice these things? Um, and then maybe the difference now that you see that you have two students kind of in that formal lesson, but then
0: three under it. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I will begin by saying I got my kids out in nature a lot less than I wish I had. I This is okay. where, you know, so much of my inspiration, as I've shared with you for doing this podcast was I just didn't have a vision for that I was supposed to be doing this. And at that time, we did live in an area that I would have had to drive at least probably 20 minutes to go somewhere that was safe to do that. But 20 minutes is 20 minutes. I could have done it. It just wasn't necessarily on my radar enough to do it. Um, So what I'll share is what I wish I had done. What I wish I had done before my children were all school age was to do the little excursions that Charlotte Mason talks about. She talks about like taking a picnic and going for a day to a spot. Um, Right. Like you said, one thing I know now, because I do have to bring the little ones along, is yes, even though they have nap schedules and all these things that can make you feel, especially before you have older kids, it can feel like you can't break those things, right? It can feel like, well, we have to like preserve the nap schedule because everyone's gonna fall apart if we don't. But once you have older kids who are in lessons, you can't put your life on hold, their life on hold, just because yeah. you have babies. That's something I feel very strongly being a, on the bigger side as a family is that we can't just wait for the little kids to grow up. Like they're here, our older kids are older. It's time for school now. So we just have to get out there and do it. And amazingly, surprisingly, the babies have survived. <laughs> and you know, they live to tell the tale. They are actually totally fine, missing a nap here and there. Are they cranky sometimes? Of course. But I think the benefit of them getting outside, I mean, uh, it is truly night and day, I will say, the, the difference that I see between my children who have grown up going outside Versus for my older kids, my older kids do love it and they enjoy it so much, but I am just blown away by the the habits of attention that the young ones have, the powers of observation, and even just their comfortability outdoors. You know, because my first couple of kids, I didn't even let them sit in the grass. Like, I just was, like, I was very cautious with them and very, like, over the top about not really like getting probably honestly, I don't like being in the grass. It's a little itchy. So I, you know, I wasn't interested. Whereas, you know, once I caught the philosophical vision of why this mattered, it inspired me to get out in spite of those inhibitions I had in myself. And I just, you know, like we've talked about, it's like, we love what God loves. So it was like, all right, I'm going to love this thing, even though I don't feel like, feel like it. And through that, getting to see my little ones, you know, playing with rocks and eating lots of sand and getting very dirty and yet just their enjoyment and delight in God's world. Like I'm telling you, I almost never have an unhappy baby outside, even if guys right. like there is something about being outdoors that just it calms the soul. It, it really helps everybody just mellow out a little bit. And so there's really, uh, you know, whether it's just the vitamin D we're all getting, everyone's happier. And so um, I wish I had done more of that. And so I would definitely encourage, you know, a mom with whose kids are not school age yet to maybe two days a week, like go find somewhere to just hang out for like Charlotte Mason recommended five or six hours, you know, pack some sandwiches, pack some snacks, whatever you need to do to make it enjoyable. But Charlotte Mason describes like a baby napping underneath a tree. And I have now had my younger children in situations where they were napping, like as we're hiking along, just, you know, bobbing along in their baby carrier and just they just knock out while I'm holding them. And and you know, I'm like, oh, only I could just be blissfully sitting under a tree, we would just complete the mason image. <laughs> We're hiking on down a trail. But regardless, in either scenario, whether you're going for a walk with them in a carrier or letting them play on the grass on a blanket, just making it a priority, it's good for you as a mom. I, honestly, I wonder sometimes, like, how much postpartum depression would go down if young mom uh, I should say new moms, uh, we're told from that newborn stage, even while they're still healing, like you need to go sit outside for an hour, like get outside, get some sunshine, feel the wind in your face, breathe, the baby, sit under the tree and watch the leaves and just take a breath, read a book, drink some iced coffee, like just yeah. the, whatever it would be to provide physical, mental and spiritual healing during that time. And yet so often I think with especially mom of newborns, they're cooped up inside all day. And that's actually a very unhealthy place to be. And so I'm very thankful for having older kids now because I think they forced me to get outside and to go do things much sooner. But the positive of that was that I just felt better. I I truly did feel better much quicker, Um, even despite being much more sleep-deprived in certain situations. I was getting outside. I was getting that sunlight, getting that fresh air, and it just brings your spirits up.
1: Yeah, that's really encouraging because I think, sometimes we can almost, you know, no matter where you're at in the age or stage of, you know, your children, whether they have started formal lessons or not, we can sometimes read these ideas and then feel like a shame about it. Like, man, I didn't do this. And wow if i had started when they were just toddlers or whatever but just hearing your story of saying that when you understood the philosophy behind it you you know rightly ordered yourself to the truth and what you're saying is that you see the difference in your younger kids you see the difference in you as you've added um more children which means um less sleep and more work for you but yet at the same time you are seeing the blessing of What should feel harder doesn't. And I just think that's just a testament to God and his grace and certainly the way that he has made his world to work. And so that's just like really encouraging. And so I think kind of what you said um, in that, um, and I wasn't sure how you you were going to answer. So you did a great job of answering that because that was not in our notes to ask that question. But is that the caveat to this is everyone can do this. So no matter if you just have really small kids or, you know, your kids are maybe have already started formal lessons and maybe you're looking and saying like, I've not done enough out of doors, or we've really just kind of, as you alluded to in the opening of the episode of, you know, we've just kind of let nature study fall. You know, it's, it's not something that kind of we're getting to at all. And so one of the things that I think is so helpful, and I think it was Misty Winkler, With Simply Convivial, who I heard describe this at one time that said um, that she used to say that she was not a math person until she realized that God made math and that the problem was not math, it was her. And so it's almost what you just said, that whether you view yourself as an outdoorsy person or not, the issue is not the outdoors. The issue is not nature. The issue is not the world um, that God has made. That a lot of times it is us not being rightly ordered to it, and that that philosophical thing that you said. Once you understood that, that's what it took to change. And I think of how many of us maybe would would be in that camp where we're saying we just do not love it. We don't like the grass. We don't like to sweat. We don't like all of those things, and yet we. We do want our kids to, at least, or or they are now motivating us to maybe make some changes that on our own, you know, with just our husbands, we can kind of get away with a lot of maybe not doing certain things. So
0: your example of that was really encouraging. Well, and I'll just add, we do also have a theology of the fall. So we recognize <laughs> sometimes you will get outside <laughs> and there will be bugs biting you and where you, oh, one time I sat down for a picnic with my kids and I was just feeling like the quintessential Charlotte Mason homeschool mom I had brought the lesson book to do outside. And next thing you know, my kids start yelping and jumping up because I had laid the picnic blanket over an ant colony of red ants. So red, they were getting bitten yeah. all over the place and everybody was yelling and it was a very intense moment. So, you know, it's, this is not, even as we talk about the the philosophical, even theological good of creation, we are well aware that it's not always going to be a perfect experience. At the same time, tied up in that, going back to our episodes on the cardinal virtues, this is the place for us to also learn things like perseverance, to learn that things aren't always about our comfort. I'm not promising you'll always be comfortable in nature. I'm promising that it's good for you in spite of the times that you're not comfortable. And so This is not about some scenic moment outside. Generally, taking a bunch of kids outside for nature study is wild. They are loud, they get very dirty. You get very dirty. Everyone has to like strip in the garage so that you can like go rinse off right afterwards. Um, but, you know, the smell of kids who have been walking for three hours in soggy pond water shoes because they didn't listen to you when you said, don't go in the pond water with your boots. It's going to fill up with it. No. Oh, OK. She did it. We're done. OK. Well, enjoy walking in those. <laughs> you know, as those things are happening, you're like having to hold your nose while you wash those boots. Um, you know, it's all for your good. This is building character in you. It's building character in them and the benefit and the blessings of it far outweigh all those hard, little hard parts, and those hard parts are great because it's something to laugh at later. Truly, the best stories come from the worst experiences. So just prepare yeah. yourself emotionally. When you forget the water bottles on
1: the hike, when you leave the snack bag, and now everyone, all the things, we could probably live story after story where we have, you know, made the decision to do it, and then we have gotten there, and it has just not been ideal. And we have had to leave quicker and try again, start over, play some music, try, you know, come back home, transition, get a snack, all of those kinds of things. And so, yeah, so this is not something that we're saying that when you just set out to do it, it's going to be awesome and everyone's going to love it. Or it's just going to go like the pictures that we see or the example, as Amanda said, you know, sitting so sweetly under the the tree and everyone's so happy. But at the same time, it is worth building those muscles and um, learning because even if it goes terrible, you are still growing. And so I love that you pointed that out and, um, and one of the things that, um, is really, and you touched on this, and so I won't say a lot on it, but really just saying that it is okay to not be an expert. I mentioned that I could not do the list of attainments when we started even formal school. I could not, by sight, name the trees or the birds that were in our area. And so um, it is Anna Comstock from the Handbook of Nature Study, and this is what she said. In nature study, any teacher can say, can with honor say, I do not know. For perhaps the question asked is as yet unanswered by the great scientist, but she should not let a lack of knowledge be a wet blanket thrown over her pupil's interest. She should say, frankly, I do not know. Let's see if we cannot together find out this mysterious thing. Maybe no one knows it as of yet. And I wonder if you will discover it before I do. And I love how she ends that almost as a, that the same playful, you know, question of maybe you'll find it before me, let's look. And I think when we have that attitude of one humility, but also just the play of let's see who finds this first. So one of the things that I learned from Autumn Kern in the Common House, her lesson on nature study slash Boy Scout, so scouting as part of the Mason philosophy, and she had one of her friends um, do research in the founder of the Boy Scouts, which was back in the 1950s, and there was a connection to Mason, which is very interesting. And so But one of the things that he encouraged educators and parents and his little saying was play the game. So he would tell moms and educators in schools to play the game. When you send them out to scout and to look, you do it with the same um, energy that you're hoping that they do. And that is something that I have found to be, be very helpful in our time when we're just out of doors or in a more formal nature study. So that is one thing that's been encouraging. But another thing that we um, have had questions about, and Amanda, I don't know if you've been asked this question or have felt this way, but in going out of doors or going to trails or to state parks is the issue of safety. So, and I'm thinking in two ways, your kid's safety, but then also kind of your safety collectively. So like you something happening, something happening to your kids, Um, this is a real concern that some moms face when they're thinking of, okay, having the courage to go outdoors and to do it, but then feeling a little nervous by, you know, safe, just not feeling safe. And so have you experienced this, number one, and what are some things maybe you have done to help?
0: Yeah, you know, I think this is definitely something that comes up for all of us as we are in these situations where maybe we're going out on a trail alone with our children um, or just even to parks, right? Local outdoor areas, often unaccompanied with any other adults. But uh, the way my husband and I handled it starting pretty early on was his preference was that I not necessarily be alone. He really preferred for me to invite a friend along, even just one other friend with their kids uh, to go. Uh, In this season, we have a weekly nature study group. And so it really just is simplified because that's our primary time. We are getting out as far as going out into nature, getting on trails, things like that. And we always have three to four moms there. But, you know, something that in the few times that I have gone on trails, something that, you know, my husband asked was just that I was in a location where I had cell service. So that was a priority for us. And then I did carry a knife. And so we just had a few things that were like in a desperate situation where I might need something, a tool, um, just a little pocket knife was something I could have. But generally speaking, um, because especially having so many littles right now, I'll bring my mom along. So having a grandma there or even just a friend, like I've had, I have had times where I've had single friends or um, friends who are maybe married, but don't have their own children yet. And I have invited them out to come with me. So that's just a number of ways that we can include other adults and have maybe more adults present there with us to increase the safety in case we were to run into a sneaky person or some sort of animal on the trail that might compromise the safety of everyone. But I will say, having done it for a couple of years, we've we've been in situations where maybe there was a suspicious person that we chose to you know go down a different trail or walk a different direction. But um, we've never been in an unsafe situation where there was where I was really concerned that uh, we weren't going to be okay. So I'm very thankful for that. We also live somewhere though where we don't have a ton of crazy animals you know most of the trails the worst thing we might see is a coyote we've seen the coyotes and they just run away from us so it's not been an issue so yeah what about you
1: yes so one same i would say that that is my first recommendation if i'm ever asked is have someone go with you so invite a friend i love how you said Um, I have included at times, just like an older teenager, maybe is just somebody just to have extra hands and, and an extra set of eyes. And so that's like, you know, enjoyable for me, like to be able to like be with them and, but they're also very helpful. So there's a lot of ways to be creative in that way. Some other things, my husband is the same as you, is that they, we've kind of picked out some places where he feels safe. So if he knows I'm going with the boys and maybe I am by myself. He knows where I'm going. So it's always, I'm making sure that he knows, hey, we we just arrived. So he knows the time frame I'm going to be there. And then when, you know, he needs to call or, you know, reach out if I have not. So just that, that, Being aware of your area, knowing where you feel confident and comfortable to go if you are going to be by yourself. Um, Some other things that have been helpful is, you know, maybe go to the same location for several weeks in a row so that you gain confidence, you know what to expect, and then so do your kids. And then at that time, maybe start training and obedience in that way. So do some of those things we talked about before, but some of the games where you run ahead and then you give them a special word or a special name and they have to stop immediately and turn around and run back to you. And so in that you're cueing them to hear, hear mommy's voice, and then also to respond immediately. And so I did that at first, um, until I could, um, honestly, like trust them to be able to come back immediately. We would go to the same place every time so that, um, I knew, hey um if we go anywhere new i could trust that you know maybe that habit is formed that when they hear me say this special word they will come back immediately or um just like you said teaching them to observe um hey if somebody looks a little sneaky like come to mommy immediately you know come and say that so if you're you know on the trail and someone is dressed really oddly for trail walking that's suspicious so you know just turn around and come back to mom little things like that where you're not having to overly make them feel nervous or afraid but at the same time you are training them in just their surroundings Um, some other things is that we prep them beforehand with expectations so when we get here what do we do on the trail what are some things we do at this you know outdoor area and we have some expectations and some family rules that we go over kind of like when we're on the way or you know, sitting in the car. And then those are just clear for everyone. So again, my boys at this stage are seven and five. So there's an ongoing conversation. I can ask a question they can answer. They were not answering at three and one. So again, this is just like, you have to really go by, their age and development but just saying that a lot of the these still principles kind of what you mentioned we still did i still tried to get them out of doors and then as they were growing and developing i would add another layer of okay now we're going to play this game where you come back immediately you know and then they're going to practice that so that now i would say you know at seven and five um they have earned my trust in a lot of these you know, trails and outdoor areas that they know the expectation that when I say come, they come. And if they don't, then we leave immediately. So it's kind of a that's part of the natural consequence that if we are going to go out, um, it's very important for mommy to keep you safe, to know where you are. Um, And if we're going to chance that, then we're going to lose our opportunity to be here today. And that doesn't mean I don't ever try again. It just means in that moment. So what does that mean? Kind of what we talked about earlier. Um, This could be one of those things that's really hard. You have great expectations. You've loaded everyone up. Everyone is prepared. You've got the water bottles and the snacks. But we're just having a hard time obeying. And that may mean that this has to be cut short. And that's not fun. It's not fun for you. It's not fun for other siblings, but um, we care about hearts the most and obedience is really important. And so just things like that. So I have been in situations where we have had to leave places early where we've even gone with a friend, but um, we're just having a very hard time listening to mom. And so you know, our family has to pack up and leave. And so I would just say to the mom who is maybe going to try doing some of these things that um, you have to be willing to do the hard thing. That's in gathering the things to go, but then also, um, you know, really training hearts while you're still there. And that may mean that it's cut short, but um, that work is good work and it's going to not always be that way. So, like now, with a seven and five-year-old, we rarely have an issue. I'm not gonna say we don't ever because we do, but they are more rare now because we did the hard work, you know, in those really early years. And so now when we go to a trail, they know if I don't listen, <laughs> we don't get to stay very long. And so we rarely have that issue. And so again, it's back to all of those things that Mason is very big on teaching, but, um, It really does matter. And we're just in the beginning stages. So I'm just, you know, when we talked about earlier seeing a seed and blossom, this isn't the full fruit of the tree, but I can honestly say that when I speak to moms with really little kids, I really encourage them. Go ahead and do it and go ahead and start training um, in obedience in attention (laughs) and truthfulness. And um, you'll be so glad. That you did because even when they're just a little bit older you will see the benefits you can go places and do um, maybe even more you know going somewhere to a new trail by yourself and you can you know trust that the situation is gonna be a good one and a beneficial one and a safe one um, because you've done that early work so that would just be my recommendation is just um, it's hard It's hard to do it because a lot of the work is kind of left to you Um, or, you know, save a day when your husband can join you and, you know, you're all out there together trying to learn these skills. And then, um, you know, he can maybe drop off or maybe you go during the week when he can't join you and all of that. So um, those would just be some of my um, recommendations and encouragement for moms.
0: I love that reminder because it really just goes back to what we were talking in previous episodes about virtue, right? That virtue is always the priority of the classical home or really a classical home. And so, you know, there's so many things that we could have talked about today um, that really connect to what you just said, right? That the heart is the priority. The soul is the Mm. priority. And so um, just as we prepare to end this time, that's the final word that I want to leave everyone on is just the reminder that all of this is so much bigger and deeper than just, you know, getting sunshine on vitamin D, even though vitamin D is great and sunshine is very good for your health and it absolutely calms your nervous system and, you know, regulates you in great ways. So that's it's absolutely a benefit. But at the end of the day, this is about cultivating our children's imagination. It's about nourishing them with the beauty of creation uh, to observe the natural law that they can see there and all that there is to learn from that as students of God's world and just, I could go on and on. Uh, the reasons to go out into nature are plethora. But let me end yeah. with a quote from Charlotte Mason. She exhorts us in home education. It would be well if we, all persons in authority, parents and all who act for parents, could make up our minds that there is no sort of knowledge to be got in these early years so valuable to children as that which they get for themselves of the world they live in. Let them once get touch with nature and a habit is formed which will be a source of delight through life. We were all meant to be naturalists, each in his degree, and it is inexcusable to live in a world so full of the marvels of plants and animals and life to care for none of these things. Thank you for joining us today as we sought to participate in The Great Conversation. You can find our show notes for today's episode, including all the quotes and book titles mentioned, by heading over to the Wonder Years Podcast sub If you have any questions regarding today's episode, we would love to hear from you at wondreyearspodcast at gmail.com. In addition, we would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Finally, you can find both of us on Substack. My Substack is titled A Classical Woman, and Brooke's is A Pilgrim's Way. Brooke is also on Instagram at her handle, underscore Brooke Johns. Cheers, friends. Until next time.